1: I was just sharing how, the, 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 how this song is one of my favorite ones and, and how much is in there, and how much it, it talks about the promises of God that still awaits for us in the future, something that we look forward to, uh, our hope, it's, it's in, the, in, in God's promises that it's for not only Israel but all of us who are part of Israel, who are Israel, uh, it's just, it just amazing.
0: Yeah, I love the promises. And just like you said, that hope that he'll bring us back home. He's faithful. Amen. Anybody else? Jared has some.
2: I just thought it was cool that um, I just had a picture of somebody sitting, and then they were standing, and then... Um, Then uh, Taylor started to sing the song to stand, and so it was just, just a reminder. I think the the picture had more of a, the the, the standing had more of a call to action. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just felt like um, we're kind of, that kind of we're we're gearing towards more of um, action of what uh, a lot of what's written in our scrolls and our purpose and destiny coming up in this time and season. So,
0: Amen. Absolutely, it's the, our faith has to become action, and we are called to stand. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right. So this week our, our Torah portion is Akev. Okay, and Akev means because, and that's significant because of of how the the verses lead off into this into this portion. And we're going to start with Deuteronomy seven twelve. The scripture says, And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep, you, keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock, and the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you. But he will lay them on those who, on all who hate you. Okay, so here at the beginning of this passage, it says, and because you listen to these rules and keep and do them. It does not say, if you listen to these rules, rules and keep them and do them. Rather, it is, a, it is going ahead and saying, you will keep these, right? Now that doesn't mean that Israel wouldn't falter along the way, that there wouldn't be a time that they would turn away from the Torah, but God was prophetically calling forward a time when Israel will keep his commandments and the covenant will be upheld, they will dwell in the land securely, illness and disease will be gone, Right? This is looking forward to a coming age, right? But it's established. Right? This isn't in question. It's not an if, it's a because. It is calling forth that, that God is going to cause this to happen. He will cause his people to walk in his statutes. Also, this, this word a is related to uh, the Hebrew word for heal from Jacob's name, Yaakov. Well, Akav is the uh, name for heel. And often the, the rabbis would teach that this was about... Speaking of the heels, it had multiple meanings, but one of the meanings was about the heels of Messiah. Okay, And the coming, like the heels of Messiah would be the last generation before Messiah came. Okay, So the heels of Messiah refer to that last generation... And that last generation is the one that's going to be coming back to keep the commandments of God, okay, before, before the coming of Yeshua and, the, and then thereafter as well. I want to take a look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. We'll be reading this, of course, in a few weeks, but I felt like it, this so ties into this idea of what's coming Deuteronomy 30 verse 1, and when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you, and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law. When you turn your when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So he's pointing to the time of the the restoration when they're brought back to the land and they will observe and do all that he has commanded. And in that passage, Moses is talking about the circumcision of the heart and how the children of Israel will love the Lord with all their heart and all their soul. And that too is reflected in in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28, the scripture says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So I mean, this is all throughout the scriptures, right? It's these promises of God's faithfulness to bring back his children, to gather them in, and that he would enable them to keep his commandments, right, with all their heart with a renewed heart, right, one of flesh, not out of, of stone, with the Torah written on our hearts by the spirit. And we know that it's through Yeshua that we are able to keep the commands, right? Because it's through him that we have been made new cre- creatures. We have been given the gift of the spirit, and that Torah has been begun to be written on our hearts that we might actually walk in the commands because we're no longer slaves to sin. Right? We're slaves to righteousness. Now, in John 14, we're going to spend a bit of time in John today, but kind of bouncing around some. But in John 14, Yeshua says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Right, so that's the promise that we have and, and the enabling and the strength that we have to move forward. Now, within our, our portion today, the there's some, some warnings that come with the promise and the gift of the land that the children are going into. And the Lord, or Moses, cautions them, the children of Israel, not to become prideful. In Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 6, he says, do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, speaking of the nations that God was going to remove so that the children of Israel could have their land. He said, Do not say it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of their wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Right? Like Three, <laughs> there's multiple times there, it's, it's not because of your righteousness. Right? It's because of God's faithfulness that God gives the, the promises, the promised land, that he gives us eternal life, right? Because it's not by any of our righteousness that we enter into eternal life. It's by the righteousness of Yeshua that we enter into eternal life because we're, we're a stubborn people. <laughs> Isn't it so much easier to say, look, it's the children of Israel that are stubborn people? <laughs> I like to read this in third person. No, but... Um, <laughs> But no, it's like, but no, we are a stubborn people and we need the righteousness of God. We need the righteousness that Yeshua carried out, that he, the favor that he merited before the Father because of his righteousness, right? So within this, it's not our works of righteousness, just like it wasn't the children of, Israel, it wasn't the children of Israel's works of righteousness, right? But it was by their faith, to go forward in what God had called them to. And as Jared was mentioning earlier, it's that they, they were sitting and they stood up and they went out. They put their their faith into action and went in to possess the land. They didn't uh, just say, okay, well, God's going to give me the land. They had to go and do it. Well, it's the same with us, right? We're not entering into eternal life by our works of righteousness, but we're also not just sitting with the comfortable faith of, okay, well, Yeshua did it for me and I, I can... Uh, He's just going to get me there, right? But he, he has done it all, but yet we're called to stand. We're called to walk with him. We're called to be like him, right? And moving such that our faith moves and works that produce fruit. And from that, we inherit eternal life, and we see the promises of God fulfilled. Okay. Okay. Um, in Romans 4.13, Paul says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the Torah, but through the righteousness of faith. Right. It's through, through the faith of Abraham that we enter in. Okay, now moving on here in Deuteronomy 10. Deuteronomy has some of my favorite passages, and this would be one of them. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 21 it says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to, to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is this day. So, so circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Now, within that passage, there's a verse I wanted to focus on that says, Deuteronomy 10.20 says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. Okay, so these are multiple positive commands that are given of what we shall do. We shall fear the Lord, serve Him, cling to Him, and swear by His name. Now, this, this word, cling to Him, is devak in Hebrew, okay? It means to cling or to cleave. Now, this word, we've, we've seen it before in the Scriptures, specifically back in Genesis uh, 2.24, and the scripture says, "Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh, so they shall devak to one another, and they will become one right and so this con the this call to cling to God um, it's known as a concept called devakut, which is very closely related to the word devak, right but devakut means attachment okay so and and there's there's a lot of teaching around the aspect of devakut and attachment, specifically with the idea that we are to attach ourselves to God. Now, there's a problem with the idea of clinging to God. right? And the, one of the problems with this is that Deuteronomy 4.24 says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So how does one cling to a consuming fire? A consuming fire will destroy you. You can't even look upon God and live, right? Because God remember, God would not show his face to Moses, right? Because it would destroy him. So in the presence of a holy God, if you can't even look upon him, if the children of Israel trembled and feared when they heard his voice from the mountain, how much more would it be to try to cling to the all-consuming, pure and holy fire? Well, it wouldn't be possible, and so the, the rabbis looked at this and said, well, how, how is it possible then to fulfill this command as opposed to just a spiritual idea of, okay, I'm attaching myself to God. So how would we actually do it in the flesh? And the, the, their answer, Rashi gives an answer where he says, is it possible to say such a thing? God is a consuming fire. But the meaning of this commandment of clinging to God is this. Cleave to the students and the sages of Torah, and it shall be considered as if you cleaved to him. Okay? And Rambam says something very similar. He says, by this injunction we are commanded to mix and associate with wise men, to be always in their company and to join with them in every possible manner of fellowship, in eating, drinking, and business affairs, to the end that we may succeed in becoming like them in respect of their actions and in acquiring true opinions from their words. Now, all this, when they're speaking of these wise men or um, the students and the sages of the Torah, what they're talking about is something called a tzadik. Okay? A tzadik is a righteous one. It comes from the word tzedek, which means righteous. Uh, you've probably heard tzedakah, which can be righteousness or charity. Okay, So a tzadik is a righteous one. And this righteous one is the one that they're calling you to cling to, okay? And that this that tzaddik serves as um, not a replacement for God, but an intermediary by which you can connect with God. Okay, so if you think of an impure person trying to come into the presence of God, how do you do it? Well, I mean, certainly we've talked about how you can approach through the, through the sacrifices, through the, through the life that is in the animal, but also there's the aspect of clinging to a righteous one who is a reflection of God. Okay? And these, these teachings have been developed further by the, uh, the Hasidic movement. Um, and over the past several centuries, there's been a lot of discussion about, well, who is a righteous one and what does a righteous one do? Some of the things are that, uh, <clears throat> that Sadiq is thought to be a prophet to be a, a shepherd. To be one who suffers on behalf of the nation and on behalf of others. To be a miracle worker. And when they, they said, when, when you look upon at tzaddik, it's as if you're looking upon the face of the Shekinah, of the divine presence of God. right? So as we're thinking about these aspects and all that at tzaddik is supposed to be, we're, we see Yeshua, right? We see... We see that he is our shepherd. right? We see that he is the suffering servant. Right? He's a miracle worker. He is the very image of the invisible God. right? And he's a prophet. Now, it's also said that Tzadik is often not understood in his time and even rejected and maligned by his generation. Right? And it's only afterwards that he is seen and understood to be truly a righteous one. and that also a tzaddik is a mini-temple a mini for the dwelling presence of God. Right? Now, there's uh, someone who wrote on this recently, and, and what he stated in his book was, that tzaddik draws everything to him, for the true tzaddik is the foundation of the world, and everything derives from him. All other tzaddikim, all other righteous ones, are only branches of the true tzaddik. Right? They're only branches of the true one. And the true one being one who is absolutely without sin. Okay? And we know there is only one who has been truly without sin. Right? For all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Yeshua has been tempted in all things, yet is without sin. He is the true tzaddik. Right? And so he is, he is truly the one that we are to cling to, such that we might cling to God. Yeshua in, in John 15, one through five says, "'I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. "'Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, "'he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, "'he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. "'You are already clean because of the word "'which I have spoken to you. "'Abide in me, and I in you. "'As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself "'unless it abides in the vine, "'so neither can you unless you abide in me. "'I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? So Yeshua presents himself as the true vine, the one to whom we are to attach ourselves and abide in such that we can have our support, we can have our sustenance, and such that we can bear fruit. Without him, without the attachment, without clinging to the, the true tzaddik, we can't bear fruit. It's even said that all service done unto God, when not attached to a tzaddik, is worthless. That's part of the teaching as well. So there are all kinds of understandings out there within the, you know, within the Jewish teachings that give a revelation of who Yeshua is and his role as this intermediary that connects us to God when we draw near to him. And as Yeshua said, you know, if you've received me, you've received the Father, right? Those who reject Yeshua are not rejecting Yeshua, but the one who sent him, right? So God sent his son so that we could cling to him and that in clinging to him, we could know God, right? Because Yeshua tells us that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. If If you've clung to him, you've clung to the Father if you're clinging to him, then you're in very close proximity, right? You're doing the very thing that Rambam Rambam is talking about, of going and learning what do they do? How do they do it? What are their words? What are their opinions? And how should I understand the Torah? How should I walk out? How is it that I'm to walk in God's ways? Well, I'm to walk in the ways of Yeshua and what he's revealed and, and what he's revealing through the Spirit. Now, one of the aspects of Devakut, a goal of it is oneness, right? Like we read about with a man shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one. That's the result of Devakut is oneness. So when Yeshua is speaking about oneness with the Father and us to be one with him, right? He's looking for the result of this bond that is created. It's a love that surpasses natural love it goes beyond and deeper to where our identity is wrapped up in him and we've emptied ourselves such that we can be full of him and full of the spirit in 1 Corinthians 6:15 through 17 Paul says do you not know that your bodies are members of messiah right so again here one part of the head right messiah the head the rest are parts of the body so again same concept of a vine with its branches. Your member, <clears throat> and your bodies are members of Messiah. Shall I then take away the members of Messiah and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Right, so when we join ourselves to the Lord, we become one with him. And Yeshua says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him, right? So again, coming through Yeshua to the Father. You know, we've talked about how we come through Yeshua to the Father in the heavenly, in the heavenly temple by the blood, right? <clears throat> by his blood. And then also, too, we come to the Father through our clean to Yeshua, right? And our clean to Yeshua is the outward working of faith in our lives. And of course, you know, it's, you know we have our time of prayer and communion with the Father, right? We, ha- we, have, we have access to the Father through the Son. And the key here is really experiential knowing, right? Because it's not just enough to know of God or to know of Yeshua. We can sit and we can read the word all day long. We can read all the stories. We can know them by heart. But until they actually take root in us and begin to play out, we don't really know them. We just know of him, right? So we have to arise and move forward in what he's calling us to. So we have to move forward in faithfulness. In uh, in John 15, Yeshua continues, verse 9, Just as the Father had loved, has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you that you love one another. Now, when Yeshua says, This is my commandment that you love one another, you know, he's he is giving one statement there within the commandment to love one another. But often in the scriptures, when it says, well, the scripture can refer to the commandment speaking to the whole Torah of Moses, right? And the command that we love one another is likened unto the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Which is the second the second commandment. So Yeshua is really referring to, yes, the command to love one another, but by extension to all of his commandments. And that brings us actually back to uh, Deuteronomy 8. Okay, So Yeshua is calling us to faithfulness, to the commandment. And Deuteronomy 8.1 says, all the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. And actually, this translation is a little bit off, but I'll come back to that. You should be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. Okay? So this says, all the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do. In the Hebrew, it says, the entire commandment that I command you today, you shall observe to perform. So it's in the singular, but it's referring to all the commandments. So the translation's not wrong, it's just not literal, right? So it's all the commandment that I'm commanding you shall be careful to do. And continuing on, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, On you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you were to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. A land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Yeah, it's great, right? You, you, will, well, you will eat, and you will be satisfied, and you will bless the Lord, right? Have, have you thought about that command? You know, that's actually, that's actually a positive commandment to bless God when you've eaten and are satisfied. I'm not in the habit of praying after I eat. I pray before I eat, but not so much after. Last night I prayed afterwards because it's a really good reminder when you're reading the scriptures that says, hey, you need to pray after you've eaten and are satisfied. <laughs> right, so the commandment is to bless God after we've eaten and we're satisfied. The tradition is to pray before we eat, right? Because if, you, if you're to bless God when you've eaten and are satisfied, you're also to bless God when you're hungry, right? And so it's, it's a tradition to bless beforehand. It's a tradition that Yeshua kept, right? Because he took the bread and he blessed God for the bread. He, wasn't, he didn't actually bless the bread. He didn't actually bless the wine. He blessed God, who is the provider of these good things, right? And so... That's a, that's a good tradition. It's one that I fully intend to keep, continue keeping, right? But now I need to actually start making it a habit of blessing God when I've eaten and I'm satisfied, right? And we'll talk a little bit more on, on that one. Actually, we'll go ahead and go there. So the reason why, I mean, if, if you think about it, one, you're giving thanks for the one who prepared the meal, or to the one who prepared the meal, like, Often after dinner I'll, I'll tell Heather, you know, thanks for thanks for dinner. You know, it's like, well, good. Now let's go one step further to <laughs> to, to who was really the provider of the dinner and who blessed the hands that prepared it. Um, not to take anything away from Heather, right? Because if she hadn't if she hadn't yeah, heaven forbid, you know. <laughs> See she, she put her talent into action and I, I benefited from it, right? <laughs> and uh but the thing is, there, there are cycles that we go through. There are cycles. And, and Deuteronomy 8, 11 14, through 14 tells us, "...beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when, you, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God." who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right, that's the risk. Once we eat and we're satisfied, we forget who our provider was, and we say, look at all that my hands have done. Man, and now I start looking to myself as the provider, and the one who will put food on the table. And then I can give my token, thank you Lord for this food I'm about to eat, and a wrote statement of prayer, right? But if I'm continually pointing myself back to the Lord and, and hearkening to His commands and seeing Him as the provider of all, then I'm less likely to begin to become proud and to build up or to, to lose sight of who the true provider is. Right? Now, within the, within the passage we read before from uh, Deuteronomy 2, or Deuteron- Deuteronomy 8, when in the scriptures, he had said, "The Lord had tested you, right? He led you in the wilderness that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart." And and so He's testing you and afflicting you to see what will what will play out. And within it, this says that He wanted you. He might that, that He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. By everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Now, now we know throughout, throughout this entire journey, God wanted the children of Israel to see that He was the one who held them in, in His hand. He, he gave them everything they needed. He caused their clothes not to wear out. He was their complete source and sustenance. Now, once they entered into the land, the manna stopped, and they began to eat the produce of the land. Right? So now they're in a situation where it would be more likely to stop seeing that it's the hand of God that provided. And that's why it's so important to learn firsthand, experientially, that it is God's hand that gave you everything that you need, such that when you walk in and see natural provision, you don't lose sight of whose hand the natural provision came from. So God's intent was for his children to know him experientially, such that their faith could be built so they could stand as, as they move on and move forward in their calling. Now, back to the idea of God wanting us to, to know that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from God. Yeshua refers to himself as the bread that came down from heaven, right? He said that Moses gave you manna in the wilderness, and now the bread has come down from heaven. And when, when Yeshua is tempted in the wilderness, after his fast, The adversary said to him, command these stones that they would become food, or bread that you can eat. And Yeshua rebuked him with the word, saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now within that passage, you know, we we often, we read it that way, where man shall not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. But in the scriptures, the literal translation is, the man shall not live by bread alone, but the man shall live by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay? It's interesting that it would be the man, right? Because we know that that, that uh, verse is for everybody, that we all live, all men and women included in men, live by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God, but the scripture says the man, right? The man being the Messiah. And so when the adversary is saying, make these stones into bread, Yeshua says, no, 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 the man does not live by bread alone, but everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. Right? So the, rebu- the, the use of that scripture is very specific to Yeshua. And there's another passage that I like in this one is, Yeshua says in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Right? So when you, when you put it in that context, if you, you know, if you were to marry these two up, the idea of God's provision goes beyond this natural need that Yeshua had. and he's like, "I'm going to live by everything that, that God that comes forth from God's mouth, and what comes forth from his mouth is His desire and His will, all of creation. and that Yeshua, what Yeshua needed was the word of God, right? God's provision to go forward and carry out His will. This is part of this, the aspect, too, where Yeshua's faith was one that produced fruit. It was one that works came forth from, such that the will of God could be completed. So as we're going through, in our walk, clinging to Yeshua, such that we can cling to God, learning from Him what His opinions are, what His commands are, what His heart is, then we we become like Him and the fruit that we bear is the fruit that our Father desires, right? And our faith is tested along the way all along so that God can take us to the next step along the way so that we'll be ready to move in to to the next land that He has us to go into, whatever that looks like in each of our lives right? Because you have to build faith along the way. Faith doesn't just happen. I mean, learning can just happen when you, when you sit down and you study the Word, but true faith is a faith that is tested. I don't know that you can really have true faith without the testing of the faith, without the practice of the faith. And, and James, James speaks quite a bit about it. Um, I won't turn there. I think I may have it somewhere, Um, but maybe I don't. But he okay. So in James two, he notes that just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead, right? And that your faith is perfected by the works, right? Perfected, made complete, right? When when we put it into action. And that's really what God calls us to do, and that's that putting it to action is what the Lord is speaking of when, when His children are spread out throughout the world and they begin to come back to Him and keep His commands, right? They are putting their faith into action, and then He's drawing them back, transforming them, giving them a new heart so that they can walk in all of His ways. And... So within it all, within this whole process of clinging to Yeshua, of carrying out his words, we're not to become prideful or arrogant, right? That's some of the warnings that we get in this passage as well. Not to look upon others as, uh, look at my righteousness versus your wickedness. God's like, no, no, no. (laughs) Don't look at your righteousness, right? Yes, there are others who are wicked, who he'll drive out. But he's like, it's through Yeshua. He is your strength. He is your source. He is your hope. And so all in all, he calls us to trust in him. And Habakkuk 2, 4 says, the righteous shall live by faith, right? It says, behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith, right? So within the teaching of the the tzaddik, this righteous one there is no other who can compare with him right it's him that we seek it's him that we pursue now paul does say you know be imitators of me right but it's because he has become like yeshua right and There's a real key component there in Paul's call for us to be imitators of him. It's the idea of discipleship, right? Because what God gives us is he gives us other people in our lives from which we can learn, right? And who we can learn their opinions. We can seek after them, learn how to cling to Yeshua by learning from righteous ones of how they cling to Yeshua right? Because we we need the flesh and blood guidance as well. It's not just all spiritual or high ideals. We need to see the faith worked out and carried out such that we can then model it. And then as we're doing it, we're, we're reading in the Word too and we're praying. We're learning in, in every dimension, being led by the Spirit, but then we're training ourselves up, right? So, We're being trained by righteous ones, learning to walk, and then training up others in the way to go. You know, um, I I heard that there are some revivals taking place out in the beaches in California, right, because they can't go to church, so they're having church out in the beach, you know, and many people are coming to know Jesus, and it's praise God, right, you know. I'm excited about that and some people are saying it's like the Jesus movement back in the uh, late 60s and early 70s, right? Where so many who had been far off and didn't have, really have any, uh, I guess, easy way to come and, and know the Savior were coming to know the Savior and they were being invited in. These out, outcasts or people who weren't, you know, maybe considered acceptable were coming to know their Savior and that was great. But a lot, of, a lot of places were running into problems because they didn't have mature believers to train up the new believers. So people who had just come to know Jesus were now pastors. And they didn't really know what to do, you know, except love, love Jesus, right? But I mean, then if there's no one to train the new believers, what do you do? It's like, no, we need to be in the business of discipleship both in what we're seeking out to, to receive teaching and discipleship, but also to give it to others so that we can all be progressing and moving along the way. You know, if, if 300 people were to show up at Emmaus Road next week, would that be a good thing? We'd need more chairs. <laughs> <laughs> We'd need more chairs, yeah. You know, it's like, well, in one way it's like, amen, yes, come. You know, let's, let's preach the word and let's, let's reveal Yeshua and let's reveal the righteousness of God. But then we have a tall, a tall order of, of being able to disciple so many, right? And so we have a calling. We have a calling to pursue and to press in and to really know our Savior, to really know our Messiah. I have to go back to Jared seeing the person sitting down and then they stood up, and it was a call to action. Well, that, it's a, we have a call to action. Everyone, in every chair, and at home, we have, we have a call to action So that so we might pursue the one who pursued us, so that we might become like him, that we might cling to him, that we might become one with him, and in that oneness, be able to draw others into that relationship as well. And the righteous will live by his faith, and we do it in love, because that was the commandment, that we love one another just as God's loved us. Amen. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you wanted to share? I just wanted to share that uh, where you said tested along the way, Tested doesn't necessarily mean that God is looking for us to fail. He's looking for us to see the strength of our faith so that that way we can continue to strengthen that faith. It's not a weakness. It's a placement, I guess you could put it that way. Mm -hmm. Where are we in our place in faith? If we're not where we should be, then that testing is going to reveal to the Lord we need to get going, (laughs) get working. Amen, absolutely. His, his testing is not for the purpose of, of seeing us fail, but for growing us. You know, his, his heart is to see us succeed in the test. Now, of course, he knows what's going to happen, right? But, but then again, he also, he, but, but even though he knows that what's going to happen, he still wants us to walk through it because it's through that that we learn. It's through that that we grow, and it's through that that we can then pass the next test. But all of his tests are given out of love, and, and the scripture says that he doesn't test us beyond what we can bear, right? So all the tests that we receive are within our capacity to pass. The test is good. It's the person trying to pass the test that is, sometimes fails, right? <laughs> kind of like with the idea that, you know, these blessings can often cause us to stumble along the way because we become complacent and then no longer look to God and no longer press into him. Well, it's not that the blessing was bad. The blessing was very good. It's the one who received the blessing that that stumbled along the way and had to be brought back into alignment, right? Yeah, his his tests are for for our good. Amen.
2: So I like Deuteronomy 8 because it talks, you read through it. First, you get the man doesn't live on bread alone. And then all the things they went through and... He's saying it's not because of your righteousness, it's because of wickedness. And then he gives you the strength to obtain wealth. The strength, so he gives you strength, right? And He gives you lots of things. Then you come back and you read it over and over again. And you see that it's not about like what they're doing and it's not about where they're going. It's about him saying, like, he's even telling them, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to take you into this place, you know? And he tells you because it's just as a... Uh, Parent disciplines his child, so the Lord God disciplines you. He loves them so much he's like, I'm telling you what's gonna happen. Get ready so you can pass the test, mm-hmm. so you can succeed. And when you dispossess this nation, I want to show the other nations how great I am so they can not fail and be dispossessed too, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, anyways it's about him, but he's telling them how much he loves them and it's really it's awesome. Yeah. How he gives them everything that they
0: need. So Absolutely. And you know, it's it's like as you're mentioning too. Israel in exile becomes a light to the nations when God is magnified through them, right? As you're saying, so that they could see the faithfulness of God and His greatness. Um, it's like the exile within the exile. There's redemption. Redemption for the world, and then the ultimate redemption to follow. Mm-hmm. Amen. Anyone else?
1: Uh, uh, on the thoughts on uh, loving one another and the test is when do we recognize it's a test? Uh, when do we know that it is that we've been tested? When do we know that it is uh, the enemy or is a test or is it something that is there for us to grow? How do we recognize it? How do we, uh, how do we see that? We see that throughout the, the, the journey of in the desert, is that everything that was lacking, or, or in opposition to what they were struggling with, was the test. That was their time in which they were, they was giving the opportunity to exercise faith. Uh, where's the water? You know, why this? You know, why that? It was, it was the test in which they were, was giving them the opportunity to exercise faith, and have trust, and be there for each other, be there for Moses instead of standing up against Moses right, and dealing with Moses in the most uh, peaceful peaceful and friendly manner in regards to their situation. But instead, they rose up against him or they will rose up against God. And, and you see the test. And mm-hmm. in, in today, in today's world, uh, anything that is opposition, we want to go the opposite side. So if we have an issue with somebody else that for whatever reason they've done to us, uh, we tend to, well, if, we, if I just ignore that person and get them out of my life, then I don't have to deal with it, right? Like, I just go a different route, and I'll find somebody else who doesn't do anything wrong with me. Um, but what if that in itself is a test to see how we can exercise our faith and our love for each other? Because how can I say that I love someone that in the moment they do something wrong, or do we perceive it as wrong, then I stop loving them and I go find somebody else that is more, fitting to my perception of how a friend should be like. Um, What if that is a test to say, well, maybe that person is struggling with something, and this came out of that struggle, and I'm going to be there for them to walk with that person uh, into the change comes, into the opportunity presents itself, where we can make reconciliation or restoration or or share that love even beyond uh, our negative impact that we make to each other mm-hmm. uh, so i it's, it's it's a call for a t- it, to loving others even above our wrongs that we do to each other mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's and, and it's interesting that the way we do that and we learn to do that is through yeshua in the way he treated others the way he perceived those who were after him and how he gave his life for those even uh, for those who were after him uh, we see that through Paul's life we see that throughout throughout the gospel this call to love others you know this idea of loving your enemy uh, you know loving the enemy is anyone who who is perceived in a negative way in, in is anyone who, who who treats us as an enemy that person we have to love uh, so it's It's much greater than the love that we 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 see in today's world. When it's crazy, I watched this video of this person, and and, uh, it was a march, and they were asking, you know, they were holding signs, "Love wins, love this, love that," and then they're asked, "Hey, what do you think about Trump?" And they go, "F Trump." (laughs) What what kind of love is that? That you're holding a sign that says love. Love, love, love wins. Let's love, but when it comes to somebody else that you that you have a negative perception of it, then love doesn't apply anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only to those that we have same views, same persp- you know, same things that that don't never do anything wrong to me. That don't you know, those people who have a who give us a peaceful environment of who we are and hey, they, as long as we are comfortable in that environment, we call that love. Mm-hmm. you know and we even yeah. title them best friend like we determine who is our best friend based on how much they do for us this person because you're always there for me you always do this with me you always share with me you always take care of me and my thoughts and my feelings and all that you are considered my best friend not everybody else everybody is just another person I know but you are my best friend because you're always there for me like what kind of love is that yeah you know,
2: <laughs> yeah. You know?
1: That's not the love that the, the scripture is teaching. That's not the love of Yeshua. It, it's, it's not what we're learning from the, 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 the sadic. You know, the sadic is the person who guides us above and beyond these this, this ideas, you know, and teaches us that. But if we're only surrounding ourselves with, like I already mentioned, the people who are just pick and choose who to love or not, then we're not attaching ourselves, we, we're not learning. Yeah. We're not, we haven't been attaching ourselves if that's the way we have been treating people for the longest time. Who are we, who are we following uh, this all yeah. this entire time?
0: Yeah, that's really good. Um, yeah, because relationships are often a place of testing and uh, refinement. You know, and and you, know, you mentioned the aspect of, well, whatever they're doing, maybe they have some kind of issue they're working through or whatever. And sometimes it's our own issue that has to be fixed. Or, or corrected such such that uh, the relationship can grow, you know. Um, yeah, running from running from it. Uh, there, I mean, there's times that you should get away from a from certain certain relationships, right? But there, there's also a time when it's like, no, there's there's not there's something to learn in this or something to give in this. And uh, yeah, we're definitely called to a higher standard of love than what the world knows love to be. So that was good. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for the call to action, Lord. We thank you that you've given us all we need, Lord, that you are our provider. And we thank you, Lord, that it's not by our righteousness, but it's the righteousness of Yeshua that we uh, draw near to you, that we are inheritors of the promise, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us, quicken our spirits, Lord, that we could walk in a manner that is pleasing to you, Lord. And that we would pursue Yeshua. We would pursue righteousness. We love you and bless you. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.